on this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Jeremy Jensen, owner and creator of Grassroots Powder Surfing. We discuss the history of the company, surfing on snow, and the freedom of riding without bindings. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and today I'm joined by Jeremy Jensen, owner and creator of Grassroots Powder Surfing, uh, local here to, to Logan, Utah. Thanks for being here. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking some time. Um, it's it's fun, especially now we're getting into some of these winter conversations with with different companies and organizations involved in snow sports, and and I think Grassroots is a is a really cool company in that you don't see that many other snow sports companies that are based here in Logan. I, I don't know of anyone else who's making boards or making <laughs> skis. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a really, not. really unique company to have right here in our backyard. And I think a really interesting story. So um, would love to dive into, I guess, first of all, what is powder surfing? What is this sport? Maybe some people aren't familiar with. Sure. Uh, powder surfing is basically just the act of surfing on snow. Um, it's, you know, there's no attachment to the board. There's no bindings. There's no straps. There's no ropes. There's no bungee cords. They're, the only thing that attaches the rider to the board is is just a uh, a leash to keep the board from from getting away from you if you fall. So uh, yeah, I'd say powder surfing is just the act of, of surfing on snow, completely binding free on a board that was designed to do just that. So where did uh, wh- where did the sport come from? Is this how long has it been around? Like where do you know the origins? Oh yeah, definitely know the origins. I mean, you're um, the originator. <laughs> yeah, I mean as as far as as I know, like myself and a couple of friends were the first people that we knew of to, right. to be doing this. And this, this started, uh, the first little dabbles in it were in the late nineties, um, in the early two thousands. And back then we were just, uh, we were riding our snowboards between the bindings, you know, with our feet out of the bindings, of course, uh, we were, uh, cutting down old broken snowboards in, into, uh, newer shapes or different shapes to try to make them work a little bit better because uh, traditional snowboard is just much too big and too narrow and and just didn't really work out very well. So, um, I mean, it, for for us, it it started you know in, in the late '90s or myself, it started in in the late '90s and then um, I started uh, building and promoting my own boards in 2007. So that was when. You know, when I finally took matters into my own hands and just created a board that I knew would work for it, instead of trying to reshape these old snowboards, it just never really worked out. They just weren't weren't behaving the way they should. They weren't working uh, the way I felt that they could. Um, so even even the very first prototype types that I made in in 07 uh, were leaps and bounds ahead of any snowboard that that I'd ever tried, and any reshaped snowboard or anything like that. It was a whole. It opened up a whole new whole new world really and just uh and that's when the vision really started to come together that's awesome i i kind of ask about you know how the sport started um just kind of leading into how did this i guess the start of of snowboarding i mean i, I think when snowboarding started there was some binding lists you know, yeah, snowboarding to, going on I, I imagine that's kind of how it started and then to, the bindings there, were introduced maybe you could get into that and how that intersects with with powder surfing yeah, I mean, th- there's not much documented as far as riding without any bindings at all. There's there's one that I know of, and that that's uh, Dmitry Milovich, who started Winter Stick. His first prototypes back in 1972, like his first personal prototypes, this is before he started Winter Stick. Um, the first couple that he made, he rode up at Snowbird, 
um, the year they opened, and at that point he was standing on a board with a shoelace for a leash. Wow. So that that's like the first actually documented uh, time that, that I've read about and learned about. Um, there's definitely other things throughout the history of snowboarding and, and way before that. People, you know, standing up on their sleds or standing up on, um, you know, the old uh, Petron boards or, or the Wickland board. Is There's a patent for that back in like the 30s. Um, which was basically they were standing on a sled with a stick in their back hand as a brake and their rope in their front hand to turn. And, you know, of course, there's like uh, snurfing that, that came around in, in uh, the late 60s, early 70s, which you were kind of standing on a water ski with and turning that with a rope, of course. And, and, um, but really, as far as like real bindingless snowboarding, there, there wasn't much of anything documented other than than those times, uh, those stories of Dimitri that I've read about, right. which was super cool. And, and actually one of his boards was one of the, one of the few snowboards that we ever stood on. It was an 85 uh, round tail plus winter stick. Um, as far as any of the snowboards we ever tried, that was the closest thing to actually working, um, decently. It still didn't work anywhere near as, as well as the things we were making. But as far as a, an existing snowboard went, that was like one of the better designs that actually you could make work pretty good. Um, so, so that was a big inspiration and a big influence on me. That's when I was writing that board, that's kind of when the light really turned on and, and I thought, Hey, I could, you know, this isn't ideal, but, but I can take some things that I've learned from this and I can make something that actually really does work really well. So, um, so there's definite, uh, inspiration from there. And, and uh, power surfing itself, you know, it, it harkens back to the very beginnings, the, the earliest beginnings of snowboarding before snowboarding before snowboarding, if you will. I mean, there's got to be, you know, thousands of people in history that have stood on top of, stood up on their sled or on anything for that matter, you know, just like surfing dates back thousands and thousands of years um, to natives, you know, surfing on wooden planks, board found materials even. So uh, no doubt people were standing and up and sliding down mountains without bindings, I would think, for thousands of years. Um, as far as, like, the pow surfing thing, like, making it into its own thing, uh, getting it out there, showing people how it's done, giving it a name, and, uh, and explaining this to the world, that, that certainly hadn't been done in, until, uh, until we came around in, in 07. But, um, and at the same time, there was a few other companies around the world, uh, in s with similar timing, you know, uh, developing something kind of similar, you know, you're standing on a board and, and you're riding without binding. So it was pretty interesting to see it, to see the, those few years, like people completely unconnected around the world, developing, uh, something similar, which I thought was pretty cool. But, but, um, yeah, as far as it intersects with the history of snowboarding, it, it, it's supposed to remind you of your roots. You know, this is where snowboarding came from. It's a simple desire to stand on something and slide down a hill. Um, you know, before the bindings and before, you know, they, they put bindings on it, of course, because they were trying to make a whole bunch of money off of it. They were trying to make it like skiing. They were trying to get it, you know, accessible to people and sell millions of units or whatever. And, and, you know, that's part of why, part of why winter stick failed, I think was because they, you know, they had these soft bindings and they didn't really have high backs and they didn't have a super firm connection to the board. They were more, uh, bungee cord you'd slide your foot under or a soft binding made out of fabric and things like that. And it, and it just never was able to, <clears throat> to translate well to like icy slopes 
out east or you know all over the place really there's just varying conditions and so um so yeah i mean power surfing is meant to make you think about your roots it's meant to take you back uh in a lot of ways not just the history of snowboarding but it's you know it takes you back to how you felt when you were a kid when maybe you stood on your skateboard for the first time or even you tried to stand on your sled when you were cruising down the sledding hill um you know, it reminds, personally for me, it reminds me of learning to skateboard. It reminds, reminds me of learning to snowboard. It reminds me of learning fresh things. And, I, you know, I was doing this at, you know, th- age 30 plus, and, and I was feeling like a 14-year-old kid again. So so it's it was really cool for me to go through that rebirth. And, uh, and so within the designs that I make and the artwork I use and just the overall theme of grassroots it's it's meant to make to remind you of those days those formative years the roots that that you came from so it's pretty deliberate i think it's really special that that something like this really a i mean in a way a new sport right or you've legitimized the sport by creating it giving it a name Mm -hmm. um creating a brand around it you've legitimized this whole new category within the industry i think that's so special to have that here um when you were starting it was it did you want to create something for yourself? And then you, you slowly started to identify other people who you connected with, who shared this same idea or, or, or wanted something like this. Was it born out of like a personal desire to create something or you started to see an opportunity uh, to create a new category and, and, and build <laughs> yeah. a business from it? Was yeah, it no, personally bi- or did you want to build a business? Business had absolutely nothing to do with the it. The business I, was an accident. I actually have always very much disliked business. Yeah and never wanted a part in, in business at all. Uh, this was born purely for selfish reasons, we, for, for our own fun, our own kicks and giggles. Um, I, I was having so much fun doing it that I felt that I had to share it with people eventually. And you know, we were shooting videos, we were shooting a lot of photos, you know, kind of documenting it every step of the way um, back in the earliest days. And, and uh, back then they were so difficult to make that it just didn't seem like a viable business opportunity. Um, and it really isn't, never was, probably, it may never actually be. Um, and that's why you don't see many other, you know, snowboard companies dabbling in it is because the, it's extremely niche. It's just, it's very small. It may look big on the internet or big because all of your favorite pro snowboarders and pro skiers are doing it. Um, but in the scheme of things, it's, it's not really that big and it's, and it's not enough to really support, uh, a company like myself. I've worked, you know, two full-time jobs for 13 years now. You know, I can't just survive off of this powder surfing company, even though I was, you know, first to market by a long shot, you know, we're by far the biggest power surf company out there and always have been since the beginning, but it's, it's, uh, it, it definitely wasn't an idea of me thinking, oh, Hey, I'll make some money by creating this, this new genre and this new style of writing, it, it was me being like, well, this is fun as hell. And I I'll share with people because they're going to have as much fun as I'm having. And it's going to, you know, bring them the similar feelings and and that youthfulness and everything. So it was, yeah, it was born out of, out of me having a good time and me making uh, special little toys that I was just having a blast on and then decided to share it with people. So what, what keeps you doing it after so long? If it's, if it's not about the money, um, what keeps you making them for other people and what keeps you, um, involved and, and participating in this, this activity that you, you help create and, and legitimize? I mean, that's the thing is I, 
as I paved the way for it, I created it, you know, it's like my baby. And so just to see people writing these and seeing the looks on their faces, the comments, you know, I get, I get letters from people. I get a ton of emails, a ton of messages all the time. People, you know, saying this is the most fun I've ever had on snow. You know, some of these people are, are professional skiers, professional snowboards, snowboarders that have been, you know, riding for 30 plus years. And, and suddenly this gave them the best time they'd ever had on snow. So like that is, you know, that's props enough right there. That just, that makes me feel great about what, what I've shared. Um, and just to see it spread all over the world so quickly and, and it, you know, really changing so many people's lives and changing the way they look at mountains and, and the way they view progression, um, has been really cool. And, and that's really what keeps me going. It, it allows me to, um, I've been able to travel, uh, you know, trade shows and demos and just going around the world and, and meeting like literally the best people in the world. Like pow surfing draws in like a special type of person. It takes an extremely passionate person um, who's really into to uh, riding mountains and, and has the motivation to make that happen because that may mean a lot of hiking, a lot of searching, a lot of learning about your environment, so on. It's, it's not like skiing or snowboarding where you just you pay your $120 for a lift ticket or whatever, and then you get spoon-fed these runs, you know, pal surfing, you actually have to earn it. It's much like surfing, you know, you've got to, you've got to paddle out and you've got to, you've got to watch, you've got to learn where the, where the waves break, you've got to find the areas where they break, the timing, you have to learn the weather. So there's really a lot, a lot to it. So that, you know, like I said, it's, it just takes a really s- special person to do it. And so when I go out on these trips, I, become aligned with just these amazing people that are similar passions as I have. And so, uh, I mean, that alone, just meeting, meeting so many cool people. And a lot of those people were actually my heroes that I looked up to growing up, uh, snowboarding, you know, some of, some of the people that I looked up to most are are riding my boards now and they're super stoked on them and, and helping spread the love. So where, where was the most surprising place that you heard, you know, of one of these boards popping up or, or, you know, when an order comes in, have you ever been surprised to see the name of a, a country or, you know, place around the world where, where something oh, like yeah. this is being bought? Like what, what's been most surprising to you? <laughs> Tennessee, <laughs> Alabama. Yeah, right. I'm like who in the world? And I, you know, I, I assume they're traveling to, to, to ride. And then just some, you know, Kazakhstan, like just crazy countries that I, a lot of countries I'd never even heard of. Mm-hmm. And, and people are, are ordering these, these boards because, you know, I sell worldwide. So, um, yeah, I've, I've always been surprised at a lot of uh, where a lot of the orders come from. And then, you know, those people will send me photos and I'm like, wow, I didn't even know there was snow and mountains in this particular zone. But, you know, it's like I say, it's these passionate people that live in far reaches of the earth and, and they go out and they find it. They find a place to do it. And uh, so it's pretty cool. It, it's popped up in some pretty, pretty surprising spots. And, and yeah, and the people that do it are, are a wide variety of types of people. Um, but like I say, a lot of them are, are really passionate snowboarders or skiers or uh, kayakers, like people who, who already have a really active lifestyle and they know what it takes to go and get something and make it happen. You know, surfers, like, so it's, it's really cool to see them uh, pop up under their feet and see how stoked those people are. And it really, like, you know, opens another chapter in their life. Right. So, right. So you cool. see a lot of the people who, who participate in powder surfing are, come from surfing, 
skateboarding, I guess similar similar activities or a similar feel or a similar philosophy. I, I wanted to yeah. touch on that a little bit. Like what is, and you've, you've touched on it a little bit too. It's this philosophy around powder surfing and like, I guess deep down, like there's something about like freedom and not being tied yeah. down and, and um, kind of learning to like, just, just grapple with this environment around you. And could you talk, That's, talk to that a little bit too? Just, that's exactly what it is. It's, I mean, you can describe it as a dance between a person, a board, and a mountain or the environment. And so that mountain is what's going to be guiding you. So a lot of it's about flow. Like you read the terrain, it hints, it tells you where to go more or less. You know, you're, you're still in control. You're making these decisions, but the mountain really shows you what the line is going to be according to your, you know, your own skills and, and, uh, your desires. So it's, um, I think that's why it pulls in so much from, uh, surfing, from, uh, kayaking, you know, a ton of people who are, who have never even set foot on skis or snowboard in Japan. Um, there's a huge crew of guys that are, that are all about pal surfing and they have just a massive, uh, kayak background, professional kayakers and such. And cause they're, they're used to going with the flow. You know, letting nature carry you down. You have some bit of control, but you're at a, at a lot of ways at the mercy of nature. Um, so you pick the right, same with surfing. You know, like you don't you don't jump in on the wave that's gonna kill you. You know, you back off and let that one pass, yeah. unless you're the guy who's got the skills to do that. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you're at the mercy of the mountain. But if you make the right decisions on on you know wave choice or mountain choice, line choice, um, and make a good a good uh, call on what the snow is going to be like, just given the look of it or the feel of it or where you've been hiking around. Um, all that comes together and, and, uh, and that's what kind of guides you. So, so yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, obviously board sports transfer over really well because you're sliding sideways, you're going sideways. Um, so of course, skateboarding and surfing and snowboarding, all that is going to cross over really well into pal surfing. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a natural, it's almost, I mean, for those three sports, it's like once you've started pow surfing, you're like, oh, this is what I've been training for my whole life because I've been a skateboarder and a snowboarder and a surfer. So it's like kind of the natural progression of all those things coming together and, and creating something new yet familiar. So, so for a lot of those people, progression can happen pretty fast because they, they're really savvy on the snow because they've been skiing for 10 years or 20 years or whatever. Um, and maybe they haven't been going sideways, but they just know snow conditions really well because they've been skiing that long. And so, you know, to make the transition to go sideways, isn't that tough. And they use their knowledge of the mountains and of the snow and it helps them a ton in, in the long run. So I, I love this, this whole idea of just your whole philosophy on all of this. I, if, if people want to learn more about that or, or I, I just kind of revisit that. I, I recently watched Dojo, which mm -hmm. I know you were a huge part of putting that whole film together and, and we're hoping to talk to, to chase nice. um, here soon about, about the film a little bit more. Um, but that whole film dives into this whole idea of flow, right? Yeah. As cause well chase as is big into sailing, which is another thing where right. you're, you're at the mercy of mother nature and you can't really fight the flow. If you do, you're, you're not going to have a good time or it's not going to work out. And pal surfing is very much the same thing. You don't fight the flow. You, you go with it. You flow like water as, as Bruce Lee would say. Right. 
Right. Um, so, you know, if that film becomes, you know, more available to the public, I, I think that would be a great one for people to go and revisit. And, and some of that yeah. was shot here. And, and I'd love to touch yeah. on your involvement in that. What, what yeah. was your connection to, to that film? And I think it's pretty well, unique to have a film like that. Part of it filmed in our area and other parts of it, you know, filmed over in Japan. Yeah. What was your involvement in that, that film that just recently came out? Well, Chase is just a good friend of mine, and, and we've been um, – I I turned him on to POW surfing probably three years ago. I think he picked up his first board. And so um, last year we just got together a bunch in the early season, and there was a lot of really beautiful blue days in uh, in December. And so that's uh, – I think we shot those parts over the course of just uh, probably a week, maybe two weeks. Um but it's beautiful footage just mainly because the light is so low in the sky. The sun's really low in the sky in January and it creates just amazing fairy dust in the air and it's just gorgeous conditions. So, um, that was, that really helped complement that movie and, and tie, tie other things in, uh, with that part. So really Chase, my involvement was just, Chase was just like, Hey, we're making a movie. You want to be part of it? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so, so we filmed that stuff and then, uh, I think I gave them a little bit more footage, but they mainly just used that stuff we shot the first couple couple of weeks of the season, and and um, yeah, like I said, I gave them piles of footage, and, and they just used what they needed. So it was it was cool. I was happy to be a part of that. It turned out really cool, and it had a really great following. With uh, I was amazed at, at how they they packed the theater, the Piri Egyptian Theater in Ogden, which is a big theater, jam packed that thing full of people, and it was really cool to see that many people come out for a local film. It was impressive. You think they're, you know, and, and as a photographer, videographer, what, what do you think the opportunity is for more of that to happen locally? I think there's there's so many cool local stories. And, and theirs was a local story, but also, you know, a bunch of friends going to, to Japan. And, uh, yeah, you think, know, there's so many stories to tell. Uh, do you think there's more opportunity to, to tell those those stories around sport and, and the outdoors? Oh, always. Yeah, there's, there's always tons of opportunity. Now, these days you know things are pretty saturated the media is pretty saturated so it's it can be kind of hard to find your audience or that audience to find you so that's a big part of the challenge um for the case of dojo they they've had a pretty good following from the the movie they did two years prior and just the the local ogden scene is is pretty tight you know most people know each other and and it's kind of similar here in logan it's a much smaller scene but um but yeah, it's just it's it's definitely plenty of opportunities to tell stories out there. The hard part is getting people to see them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> in the sea of media that's out there. Um, kind of going back to the product itself. Um, what does that process look like? All of this happens in your garage, um, and there's a great shot on your website, powsurf.com, if you want to mm-hmm. see just where you're operating and where you're creating this this awesome product. What does that process look like? I, could you walk through like the steps so, of creating a board? Yeah, I, I can do I can do that vaguely. So that's that's actually my old garage. I think in that shot that's on the website still. But I've built I've since built a, a bigger garage. So it's got a couple workspaces in it. Still very very small compared to any sort of uh, snowboard company or, or any company sure. that does pretty much anything. Not a, not a full on factory. But yeah. right, I mean that's just the way it had to be. It had to be at my home. You know, I, I work full time, so I can only like work on these in the little bit of free time I have. You know, I have a family, I have a wife and kids, I've got so much going on that that uh, this had to be kind of integrated into my life, my everyday life. So it's, they're all built in my shop. Um, and, you know, like I say, I do everything. I build the website, I make the films. I like, it's literally just a manifestation of 
of myself. Um, so uh, I totally just forgot your question. Just the process. <laughs> okay, I'd love yeah, just process. an idea of like the process yeah, so, of, of building a board. What so I, like? I lay them up and press them. I've, I've developed my own, uh, my own workflow entirely and built all of my, my presses and everything I use is, is really unlike anything I've seen <laughs> anywhere else. Um, so uh, I developed all that. I, I really I don't go that deep in, into the hows and, and such uh, just because I, I've had so many people in this uh, in the past 10 years, you know, bite what I'm doing and or blatantly steal what I'm doing or make copies and things like that, which is pretty awful. So I don't, I don't usually go, I don't usually share much process with people, but basically they're, they're laid up and they're pressed. Um, and then they are shaped by hand, sealed up. And, uh, and then they're, I grip them all according to people's boot size. Um, so they're all very custom. There's, there's 20, 20 different shapes and sizes altogether because one board definitely doesn't fit all like there's so many different shapes and sizes of people with different weights different boot sizes riding in different areas all over the world snow is not created equally it's different everywhere so is terrain um so there's a lot of variables that go into it so it's you know if anybody's got one pow surfer they're trying to sell you <laughs> it's a good warning sign that they haven't done their uh, their research and their homework how, how um, often do you see because people, one does not fit all right so with that how often do you see people just buying one off the shelf off your website versus going custom like how often are you oh no i mean we we create i've got 20 different shapes available right. so they can go through and they can find what's going to work for them they can read right. the descriptions they can email me personally and I'll take their, their weight and their boot sizes and, and where they live and I'll help direct them to, to the two or three for them to look at and then they can read the descriptions from there That's great. to see about the kind of style that they lend themselves to, um, the boards lend themselves to and so they can make that, that call on their own from there but I'm happy to help guide, guide them personally. Um, really, I mean, the, the companies that are doing the one-offs are like, you know, the big snowboard companies that are... Sure they're more or less posing, you know, like they, they haven't really done the R and D to make something. They're just, they saw that pow surfing was the next trending thing or whatever. And so their marketing department is like, Hey, let's dump some money into making a pow surfer so that we look relevant. And so that we look like we have soul or whatever. And it, you know, it, it works. They sell them because I mean, they have, they have a name that's already out there. They have distribution that's already out there, but you know, they're for the most part getting a pretty subpar product and, you know, they're getting this one shape that this company decided to make. Um, so, I mean, to, to them, it's just, you know, it's not, they're, they don't really care about pow surfing. They care about marketing so they can sell more of their snowboards because they know that that's where the, where the market share lies, you know, I mean, with, they, they know full well, like Burton knows full well that, that, you know, 2% of the population is the core snowboarder, the people mm -hmm. who are really putting the, the equipment through the ringer that are going, you know, 50 plus days a year. Um, but they don't care about that person because they know that the people that are keeping them in business are the other, you know, 98% that go to the hill three times a year, you know, right. but they'll buy fresh new equipment so that they can look the part and be the part of snowboarder. And so that's really what keeps, that's what allows snowboarding and, and skiing to be, you know, is the tourists and the, you know, the people who go uh, very rarely. And so for those people, you can make a really cheap board and you can sell a lot of them and you can, you know, turn over and that's what keeps your snowboard company alive. I mean, and that's, that's one of the reasons why pow surfing just couldn't, it 
it can't be a business like snowboarding is there's just not that user base. It's not, you know, it, it takes a special kind of person that's really motivated and willing to go out and make it happen, you know, go out and hike to the top of a mountain and, and figure out the conditions and watch the weather. And, uh, you know, something that takes a long time to learn. It's a lot like skateboarding. You can't just jump on a skateboard mm-hmm. and all of a sudden be doing all these awesome tricks. You have mm-hmm. to dedicate like a year of your life to it at least. Yeah. You know, take a lot of hits, take a beat down. And, and so, yeah, the, the market is just, is just so small. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, where, when, when and how people come in or these bigger companies, when they come in and, and they make something, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of just for the sake of, of posing and looking like they're doing the next hip thing or whatever. Yeah. So it's on one, on one side, it's frustrating to see because, you know, because I'd worked so hard to create this market, you know, itself and, and, you know, create the whole genre, um, with the help of a few other, you know, passionate companies out there. There's a handful of like really passionate people that are building power servers nowadays. Um, but then to see these, these bigger businesses, you know, that's a blip on their radar now and they're like, Ooh, we can either make money there or we can at least make it look like we're, yeah. we're relevant now. Um, after we did all the legwork, you know, yeah, so that's, right. you know, it's pretty frustrating on that. At the same time, like it, it can maybe help a little bit because it's people are like, well, power surfing's legit. Like Burton made one now, you know, or right. Jones made one or whatever, you know? So it kind of helps like that, but but the bummer is, is like those are made like in China or in Dubai, you know, and yeah. so like they're cheap plastic things on the shelf. And, you know, when mom goes to the snowboard shop and they see, you know, a grassroots board for for four hundred and fifty dollars or something next to like a Burton throwaway or throwback uh, snurfer thing with the rope on the nose, you know, for one hundred and twenty bucks that's made in China. Mom's probably going to buy that because it's only 120 right. bucks and yeah. it's like she doesn't know any better and, yeah. and she's like oh Burton like they're a great company or whatever you know yeah. so it's it, it definitely fools a lot of people and it's it's sad to see sales go that way um, but it's those companies have definitely hurt my business and I'm sure every other passionate power surf builders business um, but at the same time they do bring a little bit of legitimacy because people are like oh wow it's a real thing you know sure. these snowboard yeah. companies are involved now right so it's it's a double edged sword but um mostly i think it does more harm than good actually yeah. because it floods the market with a lot of poor product crappy right. product and then if somebody gets on that product and they have a bad time pow surfing they're like well pow surfing doesn't really work it's not for me right. because they yeah. stepped on this you know thing that was made in china or dubai by jones yeah, it wasn't you know, the right so. shape for the right environment <laughs> right yeah. yeah so that's good and bad um what so we, we touched on this a little bit just kind of that i don't know that feeling of of hearing about your product in the wild have you ever been out and about and someone you didn't know had your product and you saw it out in the wild and what was that experience oh, yeah. like so yeah. have you run into people just using it and all the personally time. know them. What is that feeling? Yeah. What was the first time like? Can you remember? Oh, the first time? I can't remember that far back. Um, I, I could, honestly couldn't remember the first time, but I, I bump into people all the time when I go, just when I leave the state especially. Like I'll go yeah. to Jackson, and I remember one, one morning I went, I had an event in Jackson, and I was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to wake up at the crack of dawn and I'm going to go get a couple of sunrise pal surf runs before I have to go to this, this snowboard event or whatever. And so I show up at, you know, 
6 in the morning or something or 5.30 in the morning and it's dark and I'm getting ready in the parking lot and I look over next to me and there's two guys with my boards. Mm. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Who else wakes up at this hour to go pow surfing? You know, this is crazy. And then I walk over to him and, and it's Dwayne and uh, uh, I think Jeff was the other kid's name. And Dwayne had just bought a board, you know, a few a few weeks prior or whatever. And so I introduced myself, and they're like, "Oh, I'm Dwayne. This is Jeff." I'm like, "Oh, no way! I remember you guys because I fill every order, you right, know." Yeah. So I know I, I usually remember people's names when they when they buy a board. So that was just that was that threw me for a loop just because I didn't expect anyone else to be like that psycho about it to where okay. they get up at the crack of dawn and go get some. And, and these guys work construction, so that's why they were there. They were getting their their runs in in the morning, and then they're going to go to work at you know, be into work by nine or whatever. So, so that, that was one that sticks out in my brain and that was probably, oh, seven years ago or so. But, um, but yeah, I see them all the time. And a lot of the times it, it trips me out just cause they, they pop up in the most unexpected places or somebody has like an old, old board from like the second run that I did or something. And I'm like, wow, that's things vintage, you know, it's still being used. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I bump into people all the time, you know. I mean, of course, it pops up constantly on social media, all over the world. But but when I bump into people uh, personally out out in the, the mountains, it's it's cool because it's mainly cool because a lot of people don't go that deep into the mountains in the first place, and then yeah. to see them out way out there with a pal surfer is is pretty awesome. That's really cool. Um, so kind of stepping back a little bit, um, you know, I I kind of started this conversation off just saying really how unique it is to have a company like Grassroots, especially a company that's created a category, created a genre, created a whole style of um, getting out on the mountain. That's entirely unique to have something like that in our community. Um, my question is, is, is more around, why don't you think you see more companies like this or companies in snow sports pop up here in our community? I think we've got a lot of great assets and resources and a lot of great mountain mountains you know to explore and play in um but love your perspective on you know why there aren't other great um snow sports companies that pop up in this area i think it's because they're not psycho (laughs) like who would who would want to start a company and work for 10 years and not make any money you know what i mean like yeah people start businesses to make money like grassroots was started out of passion and continued out of passion right you know nowadays it it makes enough money to pay for itself but i still work a full-time job and then i still work jobs on the top of that you know so i'm literally working two full-time jobs plus and you know raising kids and so it's it's a ton of work and i don't think most people are care enough about their product and what they're doing to put that kind of a sacrifice out Mm. um you know, for me, it, it pays because it's it's so incredibly fun and I'm so highly addicted to it. And so I get that release, you know, of the act of going and pal surfing myself. And like we talked about earlier, the just knowing that I spread this thing all over the world and, you know, seeing how much fun people are having is is a big is a big kickback for me. But um, I just Logan is a small, a small town, a small community. There's not a lot of population here and there's not like a lot of business opportunity here and you know most people if if they're going to start a business they're they look first at and they make a business plan and they make sure that business is going to make them money yeah for me i did not care i was i was going to do this because i was going to do it whether it made money or not if if someday it, it began to pay for itself that's awesome 
Um, if not, I didn't didn't really care, and my wife didn't like that one bit. But I, I still told her, you know, for year after year after year, just one more year, babe, just one more year. You know, she's like, you said that last year and the year before and the year before and the year before. Yeah. (laughs) So no, no, she can see now that it's paying for itself. And she's seen like so many of the opportunities that it's opened up for, for me. I mean, as, I mean, I'm 43 years old, you know, and I have like, I have more sponsors today than I did when I was 22, you know, (laughs) which is pretty crazy to see. So I, I don't have a problem, you know, with gear and then I, you know, I get invited on these these trips and you know sometimes they'll pay your way and I get like a little bit of a budget to go to go out and film and and ride and so that's awesome like there's no way I'd be able to do that you know having a a family like even just being able to get out and snowboard once a week would be difficult but since I can I have this excuse it's you know it's my business you know I've got to make sales I've got to keep doing what I'm doing and so it allows me to to uh, get out and ride more than I way more than I would any other way. And that's a huge payment for me, you know, like that's my passion. That's what keeps me going is, is riding. And, and without that, it, it, I definitely, definitely would not be doing this, you know, if I wasn't able to go out and ride and get, get that, you know, I'm highly addicted to, to powder, you know, snowboarding and pow surfing. It's always been what, what keeps me going. So, um, yeah, I, I just I don't think I don't think you'll see much of this at all because there's very few things that people really care about that much yeah. to where they they'd sacrifice that amount of time and money. Um, yeah, it's so, just hard. It's just hard to do, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, with any business, it's going to take you years and years to ever turn a profit, and right. so most people don't make it past the first five or six. But for grassroots, I just I I didn't really care. I just accepted the fact that it was a passion project from the beginning. And I still have yet to be paid ever. Yeah, I've never paid myself. I I pay uh, an employee to help me out, and then I uh, I or I pay two employees. Now I pay my wife to help me with shipping and and stuff, and and then I have another person who helps me out in the shop, uh, shaping. So they get paid, but I've never been paid, and and that's fine with me. I can I'll keep going <laughs> because I love it. But I I just don't think. Most people, you know, what they create like a a product for your bathroom or something, or you know, or some yeah. widget or some plastic thing they make they have made in China. So there's there's no connection to between them and that product. They don't care. They're just moving yeah. money and trying to make money. And and with this, there's you know, there's soul in it. It's it's much different than than your average business. You know, that's awesome. Well, I, I'm happy to know that it's here and that we have a company here in town. Um, that has a soul and is making product that matters because there's there's enough product out there that that doesn't matter and doesn't need to exist. So <laughs> yeah. it's nice to know that we have something in our backyard, a company that's making stuff that actually matters. Yeah. Um, how can people stay in touch with you with the company? Websites powsurf.com, right? Powsurf.com, yep. Or uh, uh, Vimeo slash powsurf. Facebook.com slash Powsurf, uh, any of the social networks. Powsurf is the handle for pretty much anything. You know, we've got hundreds of videos out there. If you want to get on our YouTube channel or our Vimeo channel or the website, uh, powsurf.com slash video houses a bunch of videos. Um, Instagram is probably the, the thing I'm the most active on. We usually post every other day or every day or so. Fresh clips, throwback clips, photos reposts of people all over the world things like that so we have a pretty good following on instagram i think it's like twenty five thousand followers or something oh that's great it's not yeah. bad for 
for all for that. For a little but. company based in Logan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks again for taking the time. Again, I this is such a valuable, I mean, just a valuable thing to have in our backyard, and I want more people to know about it, especially people who live in this community. You know, I want more people to appreciate what you're doing, nice. um, especially here it. locally. So yeah. I was really surprised actually to see Utah was one of my slowest areas of sales. Really, wow. for the entire time of grassroots, I just really? I couldn't believe it because it's such a good place for pow surfing, and it was. It was my sales lagged here big time until the last, you know, two or three years. It started to pick up. And, yeah, it was interesting. It was mostly Europe. Most of the interest came from Europe initially and then and Canada and Japan. And then finally the states caught up. Wow. And I swear Utah was one of the last, like, mountainous, snowy states to catch up, which is really bizarre. Yeah, but, that's strange. But people uh, are coming around. That's good. So I appreciate you helping uh, helping fuel the fire and helping uh, spread it out there. We'll do what so. we can. So. Nice. Keep it rolling. So thanks again for taking some time. Rad, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more outdoor stories and content, connect with us on highlandermag.com. Yeah.